Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So we are, we're in the book of Nehemiah, um, such an awesome book. God's doing such great things. Let's, let's open, let's just dive straight into it. Nehemiah chapter two. I'm gonna start at verse one. We'll read through to verse eight and then we'll see what God does. Nehemiah two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, that's Nehemiah, and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? Sometimes we just read the Bible and we don't stop church. He's just prayed, chapter one, listen to last week's message. He's prayed, God stirred his heart. He says, God's put something on his heart to do. We don't know what God's put on his heart to do yet. We read this and God's clearly put on his heart to go and rebuild the wall. The king's like, oh, you look sad of heart. What's going on? Knowing that you don't be sad in the king's presence or you could lose your head. And then Nehemiah has the audacity to go send me back and I wanna rebuild the walls. And the king just goes, how long is it gonna take champ? (laughs) It's extraordinary what God will do when we wait upon him in prayer. How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Did you hear how many ands were in that last couple of verses? How many of you know that sometimes it's good to use and? Yeah? Like let's be brave and bold in the things we're asking God for. Sometimes we ask for things that are far too small and we've got to learn to say and, and, and because we serve a big God. Come on church. We got to learn to say and. So I uh, give me the, the table and because the gracious hand of God was on me, the King granted my request. Let's stand to our feet and we'll pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is truth. Your Word is alive and active. Your Word is the thing that brings life. Your Word is the bread of life. Father, we need bread. We don't need stale bread, we need the bread of life. And so Father, we pray that You would reveal uh, the, the beautiful 
powerful truth of Your Word to us. Lord, light us up, we pray. Set our hearts on fire. Father God, fill us with Your Spirit. Put zeal in our hearts that we would be a people on mission, zealous for the Kingdom, who are praying, who are seeking You and who are bold enough to say and. We love You, we praise You. Speak, Lord, Your servants are listening. In Jesus' Name and all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. So congratulations to our Year 12s and uh, by the way, who have officially finished school. Many of you, university students, the end of the year, it's come to an end, yes. We got Swapvac coming up. I was chatting with some of our Year 12s and chatting with some uni students this week and talking about Swapvac and one word came to mind, procrastination. (laughs) Anyone got a testimony of procrastination in that Swapvac week? Only three of you are telling the truth. It's funny how uh, this time of year, sometimes there's, there's this, this season where we know there's this stuff looming ahead of us. Um, and yet there's stuff that's right in front of us. And sometimes we lose sight of the big picture and we focus on the small picture and we procrastinate what we should press into. Uh, And that happens, we see it happen with university, we see it happen with school, we see it can happen in workplaces, heck, it can happen in churches. Christmas is looming, there's things to do. Uh, Sometimes in life, we have this, this, this habit where we delay what we should do. Um, I like to think of it, I'm a glass half full person. I like to think of it in my life that God's given me uh, the spiritual gift of developing patience in others. (laughs) You could call it procrastination or you could say, no, God's using me to refine my partner, refine my friends, refine my beloved. Um, And there's a few reasons why we would do this, right? There's... uh, there's the first reason I think why we, why we delay what we should be doing is simply priorities. Like we, we see priority and we're like, man, there's, there's five things to do. There's the washing, there's I've got to mow the lawn, I've got to do homework if you're in year 12, I've got to do you know, whatever it is. And we kind of just prioritise. And one of those things, the thing we least want to do, we just keep going, oh, there's more important things. I'll just push that aside. And then you get on with the next thing and then the next thing. And there's always something that fits on top of that one thing that you don't want to prioritise. Anybody with me? So sometimes it's just a matter of priority. Sometimes it's a matter of complacency. A number of years ago, uh, this I'm, I'm gonna be embarrassed, but I feel like I have to tell this story and you're gonna know Joe's a saint by the end of it. Um, Joe had been asking me for a couple of months to fix the car lights in our car because we had a light, like a front headlight had gone out in both cars. Simon's already laughing as a police officer. <laughs> and it was coming into winter and the police obviously in the Adelaide Hills in winter are a little bit more active and they're on the whole lights thing. They want you to have both lights working, not just one light working. And so Joe had been asking for quite a while for me to, to fix this problem, uh, but I hadn't prioritised it because I'd just become a bit complacent because sometimes you're like, we just like, it's fine. One light's fine. Anyone? Like I can still see. And you just become accustomed to something that's not quite what it should be. 
And we do this in life as well. We become accustomed to something that's not quite what it should be, but we're getting by. It's not really impacting us too much. So we just carry on. So we were driving with one light in both cars for a while. And then one night we went down the hill to, I don't know why we were down the hill, but we were down the hill and we were coming up and we got to the Handoff turnoff. Joe was in front of me. I was a bit behind her. Handoff turnoff, turn left. Uh, this was just before Grunthal, which is a fantastic place to eat lunch. Shout out to our Grunthal friends on the right-hand side. And the police were waiting on the left. And when I got to that roundabout, there was my beloved wife pulled over by the police as they were inspecting the car, uh, giving her the run through because she had a headlight out. And I've come up and my initial reaction is, oh dear. (laughs) But then the lights go on for me. So I get pulled over and I'm pulled over. They bring me in front of Joe's car. The police officer comes over and he asks for my licence and all those sorts of things. And he looks at my licence. He goes, you know, you got a headlight out, mate? And I was like, yeah, 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 I do. And so he's looking at my licence and he goes, oh. He goes, oh, oh. (laughs) He goes, you're you're her husband. And I was like, yep. And then he he goes, oh, mate, he goes, you're in a whole lot of trouble. Just, (laughs) he goes, get your headlight fixed. You're in enough trouble as it is. Off you go. (laughs) So so I took off and I I went home and I thought, oh, she can't be that much longer. But she was probably, what, 15 or so minutes. But then she got pulled over a second time out the front of the Stanley Bridge for the same thing. Needless to say, the lights got fixed the next day. Sometimes we just become complacent, don't we? We like we just we just put up with stuff. And there's an interesting saying. It says, "What we put up with today, we partner with tomorrow." And there's stuff in life we have to be so careful not to become uh, immune to. Just to say, "Well, I'm just going to put up with it." Yeah, it's not quite right, but it's just going to become a part of my everyday reality. We got to be careful that we don't become complacent. But there's a third type. Third reason why we, would, why we would procrastinate or we would not press into the purpose and the things that God has given us. And that's actually just a complete lack of competency. That we look at a task and we think, well, I can't do that. That's too big for me. And another story, we were, we took a, when I was a teacher, we took a bunch of students on, on an excursion and we had a, like a 12-seater minibus. And along that excursion, the 12-seater minibus broke down. And so I got out with the teacher and all the students standing on the side and, uh, and we popped the hood. The hood? Is that what you call it? You know, the front of the bus or the, wherever the engine is. We popped that and I was standing there with the driver and I'm just like leaning over, just looking at the engine. <laughs> And for those of you who know me, I don't know anything about cars. And the other teacher I was with was fully aware of that. And he came over to me, he just started laughing. He goes, what are you doing, mate? He's like, you're not gonna be of any value to anyone. You just gotta talk to it and encourage it. and <laughs> Speak words of life over it and hope that it comes good. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And I just walked off because I'm like, there's nothing I can do to be of any value or assistance here. Like I cannot help in this situation. Has anyone been in a place in life where you've approached someone where you're like, well, I'm stuffed. You know, I can't do this. It's too big for me. I am incapable of dealing with this. Therefore, I won't deal with it at all. And sometimes we fall into that habit. 
And in all three of those things, whenever we are in that place of procrastination, when we know that there's a task, we know that there's a mission or we know that there's a purpose ahead of us and we get stuck and we're just sort of in the mundane, not doing what we should be doing, what we need is someone with a, with a vision, someone with a plan, someone who knows what to do in that moment to come along and give us a jolt. Maybe it's a police officer, maybe it's a mechanic. Maybe in a spiritual setting, maybe in a kingdom of God setting, just maybe it's your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, as we come to the book of Nehemiah, this is exactly where we find Israel. Setting the scene again, for those of you who missed last week, Israel has been back in Judah. They've been back in Jerusalem for almost a hundred years. So they'd been exiled. Jerusalem had been destroyed and King Cyrus had sent them back almost a hundred years ago. Now, when you think about the prophecies of Jeremiah and you think about the call of God on Israel's life, there was this expectation, there was this hope, there was this belief that they were going to be fully restored, that they were, there was gonna be joy, there was gonna be gladness, gonna be all sorts of great things. Listen to, listen to Jeremiah 30, verse 18 to 22. This is what the prophet Jeremiah said before the exile. So they were talking 170 years ago. He says, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city, listen, will be rebuilt. Everyone say rebuilt on her ruins. We called this series from ruins to revival. This is the prophecy of Jeremiah. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers. They will not be decreased. I will bring them honour and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old and their community will be established before me. I'll punish all who oppressed them. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. And it goes on. There's this beautiful prophecy that they knew that when they were sent back, they had this picture that we're gonna come back and things are gonna look good again. But after a hundred years of being back, the walls are still in ruins They do not have any honour. The temple's been rebuilt, but it's a shadow of what it was. Worship is kind of happening, but not really as it should be happening. The people have no sense of hope. They have no sense of peace. When you don't have a wall, you have, anyone can come in, anyone can can steal, anyone in that day and age especially would just come and abuse you or use you or whatever was they wanted at the time. There's no safety, there's no honour, there's no peace, there's no security, there's nothing. But they had a promise. And they're not seeing that promise as a reality in their day. And this is why when Nehemiah gets word, he's so grieved. He's like, guys, it's been a hundred years. Why is the wall not rebuilt? Why is there not hope in this city? God has sent you back. He has given you this word. Why is it not happened? And so he gets that word and he prays and he's broken and God starts to stir his heart. And he's like, it's time, it's time. This, this city 
needs to return to that which what it was created to be. And so Nehemiah gets this word and he goes to the king and he asks for some amazing things and the king blesses him. And what we see is that Nehemiah in this moment actually becomes that jolt to Israel. Like Nehemiah has this beautiful uh, prophetic purpose upon his life. He's got this, this, and I say prophetic for a reason because prophetic means word from God. And he says that God is the one who would put something in his heart to do. He'd got the word from God. It's not just his own imagination. It's not just his own idea. It's not just something that he's like, this would be a great idea to rebuild the wall. No, God gave him a word in prayer to say, go and rebuild the walls. Go and restore hope to this people. Go and restore hope and security and safety to this city. And so he goes and becomes really a prophetic messenger to them and an incredible leader. But more than that, he actually takes on a prophetic picture to us. Because what we're gonna see in a minute is that Nehemiah embodies two things. There's a part of Nehemiah that, that actually paints this picture of Christ. He becomes a Christ-like picture, a foreshadowing of Jesus and all that Jesus came to do. You know, stepping down from a position of power and authority, coming to seek and serve the lost, to restore hope. Do you see it already? You know, to rebuild the ruins of humanity and restore us into right standing and purpose and intimacy and dwelling with God. We see this picture that, that Nehemiah is a foreshadow of Christ, but Nehemiah is also this beautiful picture of the church in that we have been given a mission, that we have been given this call of God to go make disciples, go and be a light on a hill. And we see all of this in chapter two. So let's just jump ahead for a second. Let's go to verse 11 to 18 and then we'll come back. But what is it, what is this picture of Christ in Nehemiah? I wanna, I wanna show you some stuff. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. I, by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the Jackal Well and the Dung Gate. What a great name for a gate. Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. There's a lot of rubble. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Friends, there's a lot of rubble. And picture yourself, put your feet in their, their shoes right now. Like, it's a big job and there's easier jobs to do. They're just trying to manage their own household. They know this wall needs to be rebuilt for their security, but it's easy to put that off because I'm just trying to get food on the table. I'm not gonna worry about that, right? It's not a priority right now because there's other priorities in my life. And also, you know, We've been here almost 100 years. It's not that bad. I grew up with it. I'm used to this life now of just kind of living on the edge and hiding. And 
Every now and then raiders will come through and they'll, yeah, they'll nick a few things or someone will run off with someone else's wife, but we're used to it. It's kind of just part of living out here. Kind of becomes almost our identity. Yeah, we're the remnant. It's hard out here. It actually becomes a part of who they are. And they forget the fact that they were called to be more than that. And also, there's a lot of rubble. How the heck are we gonna do this? We're a remnant. We don't have the tools. We don't have the capacity. We don't have what we need to rebuild this thing. Who the, how the heck, you can't even get a horse through. How the heck are we supposed to rebuild these ancient ruins? It's easier just to be here. But watch what Nehemiah does. He comes in and the first thing he does is he opens their eyes to their reality. He says, what you now just have, have taken, what you become complacent in, what you're like, oh, it's not too bad. He goes, no, 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 no. This isn't what it's supposed to be like. He, ta- he goes for a drive, like a walk, a ride all around the city and he just starts to show them. He shows them each gate that's fallen down. He takes them right up under the, he says, basically look around. What you've become blinded to over a lifetime, just because you've got used to it, isn't how it's supposed to be. And He opens their eyes to their reality. This is exactly what Christ does for humanity. He comes along and He opens our eyes to our sinful reality. That when we see Christ, we realise that I am a sinner worthy of death. Like part of any salvation story, part of any move of God, for you to come to Christ, you first have to realise the depravity of your soul apart from Him. That I'm broken without Him. That I'm lost without Him. We have a lie in our culture that says, I'm a good person. No, you're not. Neither am I. We're not. We're not good. We're not good. For all have fallen short of the glory of God, haven't we? And this is what the Bible teaches us. This is what truth does. It reminds us of our actual reality and therefore need for a Saviour. If I don't think I need a Saviour, then why would I seek a Saviour? I remember having a chat with a a mate and he talked about religion being a crutch or Christianity being a crutch. I said, no, it's not a crutch. It's not a crutch, it's life. Like it's resurrection power. It's not just, I'm not just limping, I'm dead. And I need to be revived, amen? That's what Jesus, that's, yeah. I unashamedly will declare that I am weak, more than weak, dead apart from Christ. Because that is the truth. That's the reality, the walls are broken down. There's rubble everywhere. And I need saving, anybody else? And if you don't know that today, let me tell you, you need saving. You cannot get to eternity without Christ. You can't, you are not holy, you are not pure, you are not good, only He is. But the message of God in Christ is that He came to us. Nehemiah comes to them. Oh, come on church. Nehemiah comes to them and he opens their eyes to the reality and then he reminds them of their identity. He reminds them of who they were created to be. Watch this, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Do you see the reality? You see the trouble we're in? 
You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. He reminds them that they weren't created for disgrace, that their identity was always the children of God, the people of God, a people set apart by God to have relationship with Him, not to live in disgrace. And this is what the the walls, in an ancient culture, if the walls were broken down, walls represented the, the strength of your God, right? Or the favour of your God. So either your God was weak and all the other, you know, gods were stronger, which is why your walls were in tatters. Or if they knew your God was strong, then it said something about His attitude towards you. Now we know that the whole world knew that the God of Israel was the great God of heaven. We know that because of a guy called Daniel who came out of a lion's den and a proclamation was made throughout Persia that this is the great God of heaven. You will bow, you will worship Him, yeah? The, pro, the whole world, not Yahweh's revealed Himself to the world as a great God of heaven. So now the people are looking at these broken walls going, oh, they've done something wrong. He doesn't like them. They're in shame and disgrace. But Nehemiah comes to say, no, 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 like, God sent you back. He's come to redeem you. You, He's not like, He wants to restore you. You are not a people of disgrace. You are a people of grace. You are a people who have been caught up into Christ, that He loves you, that He has come for you, that He he wants to honour you. This is the prophecy and, and raise you up. And He's like, the walls need to be rebuilt to declare that testimony to the world. You need to rediscover who you are. You're not created to be hiding in caves and struggling all the time. No, you're created to be the people of God, declaring the goodness of God into the world. It's time to reclaim your identity in who He is. And a part of reclaiming your identity is to rebuild the ancient ruins, to rebuild the walls so that you can stand in full assurance of faith and say, that's who my God is and that's who He's made me in Him. So He comes to restore their identity. I think of 1 Corinthians 6, 11, this is exactly what Christ has done for us. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he goes on uh, and on. Let, let's read it. This is beautiful, uh, basically saying how rotten and rubbish we were. The ruins that we used to do this, used to do this, used to do this. And watch verse 11, where he says, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, or you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How many of you know that if you're in Christ, that's your reality? That you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. How many of you know that's your reality if you are in Christ? We don't like to declare it, but that's the truth. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, you're gonna make mistakes because you're still in the flesh, but your nature has been changed. Your identity has been changed. You were a sinner, now you are a saint in Him. You will make mistakes. Yes, we still, we still sin, but the, the core of your being is you are in Christ. A new nature, a new creation. Seated with Christ. 
I feel like preaching and I don't feel like you're giving me much. (laughs) That's who we are. Do you know your identity? Do you know your identity? Church, if the church rediscovers its identity, if we know who we were, ruins and rubble, who He has made us, it puts a spring in your step. There's something about that that brings purpose, that that motivates and mobilises because instead of me sitting here languishing, just going, oh, woe is me. We're like, whoa, look what He did for me. And I have hope and I have joy and I have passion because I know what I was and now I know who He's made me and I cannot boast in any of it because I couldn't do any of it. But I boast in Him and I worship Him and I praise Him and I say, thank You, Lord Jesus, for I once was blind, but now I see. You know, I was lost, I'm found, I was dead and now I'm alive, truly alive. That's your identity in Christ. That's what Nehemiah comes to declare to them. No, 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 you're not gonna live in disgrace any longer. And now as I find Nehemiah again, Watch this, the third thing that he does, the third thing he does, and this is so, so powerful. How does he mobilise? One, yes, you're broken. Your identity's in Christ. Look what he does. He declares a testimony. Let's go from verse 17 again. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Verse 18, underline, circle, highlight, whatever you gotta do for this to stand out. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the King had said to me. I've got that song in my head. This is my testimony, I testify. You know that one? We have a testimony. How does Nehemiah inspire the Israelites to action? He tells them about the gracious hand of my God and what the king had said to me. And they reply, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The thing that will inspire mission is not manipulation, The thing that will inspire mission is not some special program that you run together and, you know, mobilise people. No, it's just declaring the goodness of God, telling the testimony of God. Look, what what did the King say to him? If you don't know, let's go, go back earlier. We read it just before. We read it before. It starts with, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the King, if it pleases the King and if your servant has found favour, let me go, basically. And then the king said, how long will your journey take? So the first thing, I'm gonna give you three R's. Are you ready? This is what he learned. The first thing that the king, the the, the gracious hand of God is he's released. He's released. Again, a picture of Jesus and a call of the church. He's been released. Released from captivity, released from uh, duty to a foreign king. He's like, go, go. The second thing, he is, he is, he asked for the queen, how long will it take your journey? Verse seven, I said, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governor so they'll give me safe conduct. What is that? It's a ratification. If you don't know what ratified means, a ratification means it's basically like an affirmation of 
of who you are. It's certification. It's saying this is person is the real deal. It's the rubber stamp. It's the passport that says, yep, they're good. They can pass. So not only is he released from captivity, but he's actually, he's actually given safe passage. He's actually said, yeah, 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 you're good to go. Again, a picture of what God has done for the church. He's released us from sin and death. He's put his stamp on us. And he says, yeah, you are positioned with me. I've given you the new identity, same as what we just talked about. The third thing, he's resourced. May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the Royal Park, so he'll give me the timber to make the beams. And, and, and. So he's released, he's ratified, and he is resourced. The church has been released from sin and death, has been caught up with Christ, seated with Christ on high and filled with who? With who? Whom? Who? Whom? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is our resource. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We have fruit in the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you will produce fruit. That means transformation, church. That means you begin to to bear up love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You will start to look different to what you looked before. But more than that, there are gifts of the Spirit. Gifts for ministry, gifts so we can go. Gifts of administration. Praise God for a gift of administration. Thank you that He gives it to the diversity of the body so we don't all have to operate in that. But He gives all sorts of gifts, teaching, preaching, tongues, prophecy. There's gifts that God has distributed to the church. Why? So we can stand in a building and have a meeting and go, gee, that was a good Sunday. Why? Why church? To fulfil the mission of, to fulfil the mission of God to rebuild the ancient ruins, to go and be His hands and feet on the earth, to see the walls restored. The church has been given a mission. It is not so we just come and have a nice meeting and then go out into the world and do nothing. No, it's so that we know that we have been filled. We've been released, we've been ratified, we've been resourced, so we will go. We'll step out in obedience that the Kingdom of God might be manifest on the earth, that we might truly see the ruins revived. Nehemiah is not just an old ancient story. It is a beautiful prophetic picture of the purpose of God in Christ and for the church. Do you see it? Ben, you can come up. We're gonna close in a second. But here's what I want you to understand as we close. Nehemiah declares the goodness of God. He declares that testimony. The question for us in the church is are we declaring the testimony and do we know the goodness of God? You know, how do we get that testimony of God's goodness in us? This is an interesting thing in our world right now. We have... A lot of people listening to a lot of podcasts. Or I'm just gonna come straight to your front door if that's all right. (laughs) We listen to a lot of podcasts. We love a 60 second snippet of someone preaching up a great one liner. To 
Does that get the full testimony of God into our hearts? Charles Spurgeon said something interesting. He said, read a lot of good books, but live in the Bible. We are to feast on the Word and snack on the snippets. And I think the church needs a complete reversal because at the moment, what we do is we feast on the snippets and we barely lick the Word. (laughs) If we're honest, let's just be honest. I know it's a gross image, but it's true, isn't it? How does Nehemiah know what he's called to do? It's not because he has an emotional moment. He is moved by God in chapter one out of prayer because God puts a word in his heart. We have God's word. Church, I know I say this like every second week, but there's a reason I keep saying it is because we're not doing it. And by we, I mean the global church is not, this book is not in us. And it's not to bring shame and condemnation, it's to bring revival to this nation. That if the church would get the testimony into us, the testimony, God's Word, God's true testimony in us, living in us, that when I'm talking to someone, I'm like, hey, I was just reading that the other day, bang. It's the Word that's the two-edged sword that's gonna cut to dividing soul and spirit. It's the Word that's gonna go to joint and marrow and bring healing. It's not your motivational moment. It's the Word. It's the testimony that Nehemiah brings of God's goodness that mobilises Israel and makes them go, yeah, let's rebuild the wall. It's the testimony that He brings. We have that testimony. Here's the thing, when the Word gets in us, when the testimony of God's goodness gets in us, apathy, begins to give way to some passion. Pessimism begins to give way to some perseverance. Instead of going, no, I can't do that. Look how much mess, look how much rubble there is. What good am I? You go, well, you know what I can do? I can pick up that rock. I'm gonna put that rock there. And when you have 2 billion Christians all around the world, each picking up one rock, Oh, that wall goes up awfully quickly. And we're gonna see in the next few chapters, in fact, that wall goes up in 52 days because everyone catches a revelation of the testimony of the goodness of God, that they have a prophetic purpose, not just not just a purpose or, or a command, they have a Word from God which infiltrates and inspires. And here's what you realise. Here's what you realise. I promise I'm about to finish. Here's what we realise. That it's not that I have a mission. It's that I am participating in God's mission because it's His Word. And therefore I am co-missioned. Or do you know what co-mission means? It means we do it together. Last night we had Ignite. Amazing! God did amazing things. I was praying for this, this one girl, never met her before, but God was doing great things in her life. And I had this picture and I had a picture of uh, a canoe, like her life was a canoe and God had carved this wooden canoe out. And I saw Him carving it out. And then it had just been sitting on this lake. And when, when the lake was calm and peaceful, it's fine. The canoe's just, it's a beautiful picture. It's just kind of sitting there, just bobbling. What happens as soon as the wind blows though? It just gets pushed everywhere. And I said, the first part is when Christ comes into your life and takes control, you got someone who can steer that ship. 
But I don't know if anyone here is into outdoor ed or you've ever been canoeing. There's something really cool that you can do. You see, when you're by yourself, even when you're in the canoe and you're paddling, when it's choppy, it's a bit scary. But if you have a group of five or six people, you come along, you do this thing called rafting up. And what you do is you come right next to each other and you like hold each other's boats. And when you raft up, you can have people get out of their canoe and jump and run all across them because they become so stable because you're not doing it by yourself, you're doing it together. And this is the call of God for the church that we would run together. It's not my mission. It's not your mission. It's His mission and His mission has a church. So we are co-missions. And I've got to finish because we're gonna preach into this. I've still got eight weeks of preaching to go, which is exciting for me. But I want you to see this first. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and we'll close. Paul again. Oh, this is so beautiful. Chapter three. Laura, I'm stitching you up. We're reading from verse five, but you'll see verse nine. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? These are leaders, only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they'll be rewarded according to their labour. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Co-workers. Paul later talks about the priesthood of all believers, which means we are all co-workers to see the ruins revived. Co-workers, co-labourers, everyone has a part to play. It's time to stop procrastinating or building perseverance in others. It's time to pick up a rock and start building the wall, knowing that you are already resourced in Him. And as we finish, as you stand to your feet and we close, if you would like prayer this morning, if you are here and you're like, I don't know what it means to be released. I'm still stuck back in Babylon somewhere. I'm still struggling. If that's you and you wanna be released and you wanna know your identity in Christ, we would love to pray with you and invite you to come and give your life to Jesus once and for all, that you would be totally set free. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. Like it's eternity can't even begin to explain how amazing He is. We'd love to pray with you. We're gonna have prayers all around the room. So if we can have prayers, elders, people with faith to pray, stand up, come around all around the room. So if you don't wanna come to the front, you can go to the back. We would love to pray with you and encourage you in that. And let me, last thing, if you feel like you're lacking resource this morning, this has been so strong on my heart. If you feel like you're lacking resource, if you feel like you're tired and you're weary, and the wall is hard to build. We would love to pray with you and encourage you, co-labour with you, and pray just for Holy Spirit to come and give you everything you need for life and godliness, to run this race with perseverance, 
that you would press on to win that prize because He's so worth it. If that's you, we'd love to pray with you. So please stand to your feet. I'll pray, we'll sing, and then the team is ready and we would love to encourage you in that. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for, thank you for Nehemiah and what an awesome encouragement he is to us. Thank You that You reveal Yourself through the pages of Scripture, through the people of old. Thank You that we have been released, we have been ratified, we have been resourced. Thank You that You have restored the ancient ruins, You've given us a new identity. Father, help us declare that testimony. Help us declare the truth. Help us get that testimony into our hearts that we would be a people who don't just sing a song about the goodness of God, but who live a life built on the foundation of the goodness of God. We bless You, Lord. We praise You and we worship You in the precious Name of Jesus. All God's children said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.